In every wedding I do, uh, early on in the ceremony, I look at the bride and I look at the groom and I say something like this. Uh, this relationship you're entering into today, it's not something that's just to be okay or mediocre. This relationship you're entering into today isn't even supposed to be just good. Uh, the relationship you're entering into today is supposed to be the closest, most intimate, most joy-inducing human relationship you will ever experience in your life. This is what God has intended marriage to be. And now some of you hear that and you know, you know the joy of everything that God intended the marriage relationship to look like. You're like, yeah, there's no marriage that's perfect, but you know what? This has been awesome and joy filled. Others of you are on the total opposite end of the spectrum. You're like, our marriage is bad and this is hard and this is not at all what I signed up for and we need help. So many of us might just be somewhere in the middle where you're like, it's okay, it is what it is. We just kind of go through the perpetual marriage motions, but to call it the most joy-inducing relationship would, uh, our marriage falls far short of there. Uh, Today, hope for us. Today, hope for us to take a step towards the marriages that God desires us to have. And we find instruction for this, 1 Peter chapter 3. First uh, Peter chapter 3. Uh, just in seven verses today, uh, God has a word to husbands and God has a word to wives. And if we will heed this, we will take the step towards everything that God desires this relationship to look like. Um, last week, Pastor Brian kind of got us into this section of this letter. And really, I, I think a principle over this part of the letter we find in 1 Peter 2, verse 12. And it says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Keep your conduct among unbelievers honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Uh, From there, he gets practical. He talks about relationships. How does the Christian relate to kind of different segments of society? He talks about how the Christian should relate to the governing authorities. He talks about how the Christian should relate to uh, those in authority over them in the workplace. And then today he talks about how does the Christian relate to each other in the marriage union. And so um, we have an awesome opportunity as believers, to display the gospel and the transformation in which the gospel has worked in our own lives and in our relationship together as a married couple, uh, we get a great opportunity to display this to the unbelieving world all around us. And so today, I'm just praying. I'm not naive enough to think like, oh, this one sermon is going to change your marriage if your marriage needs a total transformation. But here's what I am asking the Lord for, that it'll it'll allow you to take one step in the right direction and that the momentum of that will allow you to take two steps. And before you know it, there's new rhythms, there's new patterns, there's new habits, uh, there's new ways of doing things that honor God and are good for each other in your marriage. And before you know it, you have the marriage that God has desired you to have. And so we're asking the Holy Spirit to teach us today and to equip us today to allow us to act on the truths in which he has for us in this passage that we might take one step forward.
And so uh, today's me- message, super simple. We got a section on a word to the wives and a section on a word to the husbands. And as we heed the Lord's commands to us in this, we know that he will do the work he needs to in our homes. Um, a couple of things I want to acknowledge up front, though. I realize that not everyone watching this today is married. I know that many of you sitting out there, you might be tempted right now to uh, kind of pick up the remote and turn the sermon channel and watch something else. I just encourage you, though you might not be married, there's something in this for every man and every woman that I believe the Lord's going to speak to you and use in your life. Uh, Second thing I want to just tell us up front is this. Would we just all walk into this humbly, more focused on the word God has for us than the word that God has for her or for him? What I mean by that is when we're talking to and preaching from the section on the wives. Husbands, it might be easy to go, oh yeah, listen up. Or when we're talking uh, from the section to the husbands, wives might go, yeah, yeah, go get him, pastor. He needs to hear that. No, God has a word for us. And would we humbly heed what God has to say to us? Um, Third thing I just want to say up front is this. There's some really, really, really encouraging things for those of you who find yourself as Jesus followers married to someone who is not. God has just helpful instruction and encouragement to you. And then the last thing I'd say is there is hope. If you're sitting there right now watching this and you have like already checked out of this marriage thing, I would just tell you to check in right now and lean forward. And I know that if you're there, I've sat in enough counseling rooms throughout my time in ministry to know the pain and the carnage of when one spouse or both spouses have just checked out and, and it just seems like there is no hope. I just want to tell you, God is a master of total redemption stories. And I just want to encourage you, there is hope. And all I'm asking is you give the next 30 minutes of your day right now to lean in and hear what God has to say to you as a wife or as a husband. And so um, there's a lot here. And I think the Lord wants to do some powerful things in the homes of his people. And so I just tell you right now, before we get into his word, would you just pause the video and would you just pray for a humble heart to hear what God has for you to hear? For clarity of mind that we would not be distracted. I know for us as a family, worshiping at home has been awesome. And so many mornings it's been so distracting. Would you just pray that the Lord might clear the distractions away? And would you pray that your heart would be prepared for what he has for you? So just pause right now. And let's pray together. All right, first point here is to you, wives, and just uh, we'll say it like the word says it here. Wives, live submissively to your husbands. Let's look at the command that he gives you here in 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Uh, I just kind of want to pause there. There's this trilogy, these three paragraphs in which Peter is giving these practical instructions. He says, uh, he says all of you, be, be subject to the, the, those in authority. Um, uh, servants, be subject to your masters. And now we come to this paragraph here, and it starts, and it says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. 
Um, all of us are to live as people under authority. All of us in some way, if you think long or hard enough, even those of you who maybe lead your own company, like all of us are under authority in some ways. All of us are to live in submission to the authority in which God has put over us. And, and, and there's a way God is honored in that. There's a way that God even uh, provides leadership structures for us for our good. And, and wives, the command is clear here from God that, that God calls you to live in submission to your husband. Now, I realize that that's a command that isn't often popular in our day and age, and I have sat through the weddings in which a pastor has come to a section of scripture like this and has looked at the bride and has said, now this is an ancient cultural thing, this doesn't apply to you, and I just lovingly tell you uh, that pastor is wrong. This is something that applies. This is a good command given by your good God, ultimately for your good. God knows what he's doing here. God has made us male and God has made us female. And for those called to marriage, he has made us husbands and he has made us wives. Uh, beautifully equal with beautiful roles in the marriage covenant and with a beautiful structure of leadership in the home. And so wives, I just want you to hear this is a good command from your good God for your good. And in, we're going to see even more uh, later why this is good and how this functions at its best when we get to the command that God gives to the husband here. When, when the husband is seeking and pursuing that which God has called him into in the marriage covenant, and when the wife is seeking and pursuing that which God has called her to in the marriage covenant, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, um, Unfortunately, we live in a day after Eden in which there's so much brokenness inside of marriage covenants. And I just want to speak for a, a moment to the wife who's sitting there and you find yourself in a dangerous situation. In a situation where your husband is a, abusively sinning against you. You need to tell us We need to be able to help. God is grieved over this, and God's church must step up and help in times and in situations like this. So don't, I don't want you to listen to a message on submission today, and I don't, want, I don't want you to somehow, I don't want that to get twisted by the enemy for you to hear, oh, I just got to stay silent. No, 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 you got to speak up. You got to tell us. We have to be able to help. You should not remain silent in that. And I think that's just an important thing for us to say. It's an unfortunate thing, an unfortunate reality that we have to acknowledge, but it's important for me to say that up front. This command, though, though we do live in a time after Eden, and though, though there is brokenness, this command is a good command from God. He invented marriage. He knows how to instruct husbands and wives to live in the context of marriage. And wives, his command is for you to live submissively to your husband. But, but what if he isn't perfect? Um, he's not. Harder. 
What if even what if he isn't even a believer? Uh, Peter's going to speak to that. To those of you wives who are married to a husband who's not a believer, your conduct has power. Your conduct can actually be used by God for the conversion of your spouse. Look at where Peter goes. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband so that even if some do not obey the word, he's talking about unbelievers here, even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Um, your respectful and pure conduct can be used powerfully by God to see your husband one to Christ. Uh, one of the sweetest ladies Erica and I know uh, for 40 years uh, poured out her heart in prayer for the salvation of her husband for 40 years. For 40 years talking to the Lord about her husband's salvation for 40 years, modeling the character of Christ inside their home, living as the fragrance of Christ to him. And before his death, he bowed his knee to Jesus as Lord. Uh, Augustine, in his confessions, he talks about the role his mom played in his father coming to faith. He writes this, uh, she served her husband as her master and did all she could to win him for you. He's speaking to God and did all she could to win him for you, speaking to him of you by her conduct, by which you made her beautiful. Finally, when her husband was at the end of his earthly span, she gained him for you. Wives, your conduct can be powerfully used for your husband's conversion. Now, those of you who find yourselves there, let me just say something and just kind of shoot straight with you. I recognize it's easy for me to stand here and preach that to you. It's much harder for you to go home, to be home, and to live that out. Uh, to conduct yourselves with a servant's heart, to live as the fragrance of Christ, to a husband who doesn't seem to be noticing at all, to a husband who it seems like there is absolutely no change happening. How in the world do you do this? Only in the power of the Spirit and only by the path of prayer. I, I'm not going to look into a camera lens and give you three easy ways to love an unbelieving spouse. It, it doesn't work that way. It's an oversimplification where there's no power to three easy principles to that. But I would just say, if you know Christ and you have the Spirit of God in you, who can produce the fruit of the Spirit out of your life, which will enable you to live in a way that's submissive to your husband. And in this, God is honored. So long as your husband is not leading you to sin against God, God is honored in you coming under and submitting to him. Uh, and to all wives, not just those who are married to an unbelieving spouse, but to all wives, this pure conduct, this heart that willing and joyfully submits and follows the leadership of your husband is beautiful in God's sight. And Peter wants to talk about that for a minute. He wants to talk about, let's talk about what is beautiful to God. 
uh, and he goes there in verse three. He says this. He's talking about this pure, uh, this this pure conduct, and it, it almost feels like he's going to change um, change the subject on us, but he's not. He's going to say, "Let's talk about what's truly beautiful," and all of it is. All of it happens, all of it flows in this discussion of submission. Verse 3, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Peter says, let's talk about what's beautiful for a minute. Let's talk about it, though, from the vantage point of what God says is beautiful, how God defines beauty. And he says, straight up, don't let your beauty come from the outward adornment. Uh, He says, don't let your beauty, don't be defined. Don't let beauty define you as your hair and your jewelry and the clothes you wear. And now we just got to kind of stop there for a second. In order to get to the spirit-directed statement of how women are to pursue, pursue beauty, Peter has to first acknowledge every era and every culture struggle to view beauty only in the realm of the external. I think we all know how prevalent the external pursuit of beauty is in our day. Beauty focused solely on how do we look from a physical standpoint. Uh, Let's just take the three things Peter mentions here. Hair, clothing, jewelry. In our day, uh, from the best study that I could find, the hair industry is a hundred billion dollar industry. The jewelry industry, $280 billion industry. The global fashion industry, are you ready for this? $1.5 trillion industry. You take hair, you take jewelry, you take clothing, you're at almost a $2 trillion industry and the amount of money spent. What does that mean? It means we are willing to spend some dough on outward adornment on investing in things that we believe will make us look more physically beautiful. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying don't go to the mall anymore. I'm not saying that your husband can't go to Jared anymore, the gallery of jewelry. I'm not saying that you, you shouldn't go to your hairstylist anymore. I think one of the dangers is when we just kind of pick and pluck verses in order to make legalistic lists out of them. That's not where I'm going with this, but... I will say we don't want to fly too quickly over this. We don't want to miss what God has for us in this. And what is it that God has for us in this? Women, God doesn't define beauty by hair and jewelry, clothing, makeup. In fact, God doesn't define your beauty by anything external. How does he define that which is precious and beautiful back to what he said but let your adorning be the hidden person of the what of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in god's sight is very precious for this is how the holy women who hoped in god used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands 
as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And so how does God define beauty? Where does he focus? He focuses on the heart. The world focuses on what is seen. God focuses on that which can't be seen. The world invests billions to convince us we need to look like this or we need to buy this in order to be beautiful. God says true beauty looks deeper than that. True, be- true beauty looks at the hidden person that cannot even be physically seen. And want to hear good news? If you'll define beauty the way God defines beauty, if you'll seek after the development of the hidden person, the quiet and gentle spirit, it's a beauty that will never fade away. Here's what I mean. If your beauty is hair and skin and jewelry and clothes, your skin will wrinkle, your hair will thin and gray, your jewelry will, your jewelry will break and rust, your clothes one day for your grandkids, they won't be cool anymore. The beauty of the world is fleeting. The beauty defined by God is not. It is imperishable. And so the way you pursue a heart that finds joy in obeying God in his command to you as a wife is to submit to your husband, to, 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 to see a heart fostered inside of you that finds joy in following his leadership in a quiet and gentle spirit that you would ask him to give you a beautiful heart that you would ask him to allow you to pursue beauty in this way um, when i rock my daughter l to sleep this is often a passage i will come to and i will pray over her life and as i pray for her i'm asking god to work inside of her a definition of beauty that is not I'll just say it like this. I'm, wor- I'm asking God to work inside of her an understanding of beauty that does not hold her bondage to the way the culture defines beauty. I'm asking God to develop her heart that she would pursue that which is precious in his sight of a quiet and gentle spirit. And that these things, a lifetime of heart renovation like this will allow her to be one day the wife that God has called her to be. Moms, be discipling your daughters towards this. For every woman, get an older godly woman in your life who, uh, because the world we live in is so loud, yelling at you what beauty is, have that older godly mentor whispering into your ear, no, 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 here's what God says is truly beautiful. It is so needed and so necessary. And so I just kind of want to stop now and I want to give you a chance to chat. And this could be maybe, I don't know. I don't know who you're watching with. Um, But if you're watching with your spouse, talk about this, wives. If you're sitting there with your family, I would love to to have your kids hear you process through some of this. What does it mean practically for you to live this out? How have you seen God's goodness in the giving of this command? What's hard about it? What, what, is, what inside of you kind of bristles against that? That's good to be able to process together. And so um, I just want to give you some time. As a family, or personally, just some time to think, or as a group with whoever you're talking to, and I really want to leverage the women here. Uh, speak up. 
What from this section did God use? What from this section did you bristle against? What from this section helped you understand even the way God defines beauty? So let's chat about these things for a few minutes. All right, husbands, now the attention turns squarely to us. And uh, let me give you this point for the husbands. Husbands, live considerately with your wives. Look at what Peter says in verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Uh, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Live considerately with your wives. Consider her. Live in a way that considers her. Uh, To live in an understanding way that Peter is talking about here is to, uh, to live together according to knowledge. Okay, what does that mean? It's to live to become an expert on our wife and to become an expert on being our wife's husband. It's to study her. It's to go to school on her. It's literally to be able to write the book on her and to be the world's leading expert on who God has made her to be in bringing out of her all that God has made her to be. So think about this, guys. How much time do we put into increasingly becoming an expert in our field of work? We read books on it. We think about it in our off time. We, we watch, we watch uh, tutorials. We study. We seek to become an expert in whatever it is that God has called us to. I read preaching books for fun. I read preaching textbooks for fun. We study. We devote ourselves to it. Think about it with your hobby. Uh, tell me you study your golf swing. You watch videos on it. Others of us, you, you, you watch YouTube videos on woodworking. We study the things that we love. What would it look like for us to seek, to study, to become the best husbands we can possibly be for our wives to the glory of God? What if we devoted ourselves to knowing our wives and knowing how to be the best husband that God has called us to be? Are you living with your wife in an understanding way? Are you considering her? Are you seeking to know her? Are you pursuing her? Are you studying her? And are you devoted to this? Uh, Kind of an example uh, just from last week in our life. Uh, This July, Erica and I will be married 10 years. And um, last week we got into a disagreement and Erica was just pointing out that during the work week, I'm not intentional enough with her and with the kids. And the painful thing about it was she's right. I get distracted. My mind wanders off. I'm thinking about other things and I'm at work. I'm, I'm not reaching out. I'm not checking in. Uh, it was hard to acknowledge like, oh, She's right. The harder thing to acknowledge was this was a conversation we have had again and again and again. I haven't learned. 
And I've, I've listened at times, but I have not applied what I have heard. I have not learned in that particular area what intentionality toward her, towards the kids, looks like during my work week. And I must learn this. I must live with my wife in an understanding way. I must figure this out. I must learn her in the midst of this. I must study to know better what my family needs from me so that we don't have to have this conversation again in year 11 of ministry. Husbands, are you living with your wives in an understanding way? Now, some of us might go, I, I, listen, I know her. We've been married like 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. I've been married to her 40 years. If there's anyone who knows her, I know her. I got it. We're good. Uh, but let's not assume, you might be right, you might be totally right, but let's not assume that number of years married automatically equals knowledge of our wife. Why? What do I mean by that? Uh, Tim Keller, uh, he wrote a book called The Meaning of Marriage, and there's a chapter devoted to this reality uh, that throughout the years, we will be married to all different versions of our spouse. Uh, very simply, he writes this, marriage changes us. Having children changes us. A career switch changes us. Age changes us. Uh, so um, uh, we know this to be right, don't we? Erica and I are different 10 years and four kids later than we were in year one with no kids. Uh, my my cousin tells a story that gets at the heart of this. Uh, when his wife was pregnant with one of their children, uh, they pulled into a gas station and he was filling up the car and he thought, you know, I'm gonna run in and grab her favorite candy. And so he runs in the store, he comes back out, he hands over a piece of candy and he gets that thank you, you know what I'm talking about, that thank you that it's like, oh, that was so thoughtful of you to think of me, but if I could have picked, I would have picked something else, you know what I'm talking about? And so. He probes in on this, and she, she, he's like, what? Like, I got you your favorite candy. And she said, no, you got me what used to be my favorite candy. And this is so true of marriage, and to which I would just say to us husbands, do you still know your wife? Are you still studying her, or do you need to go back to school on her? We learn for a lifetime. We're enrolled for a lifetime. And this is a joy that leads to a marriage that God intends. And so let's go back to school. Let's ask her great questions. Erica and I were just in the car last week on a five-hour drive to Michigan. She's just asking questions and we're learning more about each other even 10 years in. Let's ask good questions. Then let's listen well. Let's take notes let's learn our wives and learn the husbands that our wives need us to be and the ones that god calls us to be uh, but in order to do that in order to uh to go back to school so to speak and really studying learning pursuing our wives we we must have a perspective that god calls us to have about our wives we must treasure her as precious look at where peter goes in the rest of verse 7 Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor, 
showing honor, showing honor, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. We live to honor her as the weaker vessel. Now, sometimes people hear the weaker vessel part and they bristle against it and they go, wait, wait, what's Peter talking about there? What does he mean by that? What Peter's talking about is that husbands are to honor their wives as a precious treasure. The honor them as something so valuable, you handle it with so much care. We honor our wives and we live with them as like the most special treasure that God has entrusted to us. And husbands, don't you know when you see it? Can't you tell when you see that in a husband who is just adoring his wife, treasuring his wife? When I was still in student ministry, uh, uh, an older couple in the church, they had all the students come out to their lake house. And there was so much about that day that could have stuck out in my mind. The generosity of this couple and hosting all of these students just all over their lake house, all over their boats, uh, uh, and just so much that could have stuck out about that day. But you know what stuck out the most? It was the way this husband, after decades and decades and decades of being married to his wife, still adored her, the way he looked at her, the way he spoke to her. Erica and I still talk about that. And there's something that that man named Doug taught me that day a little bit more of what it means to treasure your wife. Men, this is how it's supposed to be. And, and let's not miss that last little part of this verse so that your prayers may not be hindered. There's deep spiritual ramifications here. Our husbanding impacts our praying. It's such a big deal that our prayers are hindered when we aren't obeying this. So can I just give us husbands a practical assignment this week? You got to do it. It's homework. You got to do it. Wives, hold them accountable. Kids, hold your dads accountable to this. And here it is. Um, ask your wife, what are one or two ways you can begin to live more considerately with her? What are one or two ways that would help her to know that you adore and that you treasure her? And uh, when she gives you the answer, don't be defensive. Don't explain it away. Take notes. Make plans from those notes to execute those things and make those things a part of your life. Let's not miss the opportunity of this passage to take a step towards becoming the husbands God desires us to be and a step towards becoming the husbands our wives need us to be. So men, it's your turn. It's your turn to process. Even if your whole family's right there, it's good to hear your kids process how you read this verse, what the Lord is speaking to you. And so where do you need to live more considerately with your wife? What does that look like? What are ways that you're processing? You need to do a better job maybe of, of living with her as that special treasure that God has given to you? What are some things that the Spirit is prompting in you right now as you hear this? And so take some time, process this together.
If God has made marriage to be so good, let's not settle for anything less. And if you're even just sitting in your living room right now going, we need help. Like we gotta figure out how to see this change. We need help to take our marriage to the place that God wants it to. Uh, don't not say something, reach out to us. Soulcare at harvestindysouth.org. We want to step into this with you and to see God transform your marriage as you pursue the husband he has called you to be and as you pursue the wife that God has called you to be. Wives, live submissively with your husbands. Husbands, live considerately with your wives. And as you pursue this, God will bless your marriage in amazing ways. Harvest, you are loved and you are sent. Have a great week.